Welcome to Your Family Dog, a podcast dedicated to helping families love living with dogs. Here are your hosts, Julie Fudge-Smith and Colleen Pilar. Hi, welcome back to Your Family Dog. I'm Julie Fudge-Smith and I'm here with Colleen Pilar. We have a special guest, Joanna Humbert. She is the executive director of the Michiana Humane Society in Michigan City, Indiana, which is about 60 miles from Chicago. How she got there is a really interesting career path. She worked as a director, development director for a major arts organization. She served time as a business manager at a TV documentary production company. And she managed an art gallery and staffed a nonprofit land trust, which introduced her to many of the people who now support the shelter that she runs. Pets have been a longtime part of Joanna's life, but she didn't live with dogs until she was 27 and adopted Buster, apparently the best dog in the world. So sorry we couldn't have met him. Currently, she shares her life with two-year-old boxer pit mix Moses and five-year-old lab pit Phoebe, who has her CGC. Apparently, Moses would also have a CGC, but he suffers from extreme car sickness and couldn't make it to class. So <laughs> we have certainly had experiences with that as well. So welcome, Joanna. Thank you so much for joining us on Your Family Dog. Colleen, it's a I think pleasure have... to be with you. Oh, well, we're so glad you're here. Colleen, you have the first question, I believe. I do. And Joanna, first off, I just want to back up a little bit because that bio is a really interesting and circuitous route to find yourself in an animal shelter. Can you tell us a little bit about how that happened? Well, I I never really had a career. I sort of followed what became available to me and what was interesting to me. And uh, my last position before being here was at the Land Trust, um, which is in the same community more or less where I am located now. And the um, former person who had been running this shelter was embezzling. And oh uh, when they, that's a whole long story we won't go into, but they had gotten rid of her and they were ready to move the organization forward. And I happened to know some of the people on the board of directors. And as they were figuring out what qualities they were looking for, they thought, oh, Johanna does all these things and she loves dogs and cats. So maybe that would work. And that's how I ended up here. Well, awesome. that's a great story. I think this is going to give us a, a, enough for a third podcast. We can have a whodunit podcast after we oh. talk about shelters. <laughs> yes, we could. <laughs> so when, when a family is looking to adopt an animal from a shelter, how do they know if they're going to a good organization, one that's, that's taking the right kind of care of the animals and, and putting out, animals that'll be good family pets. Right. Well, I think one of the best things that people can do is visit a number of shelters. And uh, the color of the paint on the wall is not what you're looking yeah. for. And the uh, whether the staff wears beautiful uniforms or are in t-shirts is not what you're looking for. What you want to find is a place where if you're in the dog kennels and you say, tell me about Sam here, the staff is able to tell you something about Sam. And what they tell you is not Sam is a black lab mix, but what they tell you is Sam only likes female dogs 
And he does best if you are introducing them on grass and not on asphalt. Then you know that the staff has spent time with the animals and has some understanding of their behaviors and will be better able to help to match you up with the sort of animal that you're looking to adopt. I think that's really important. Very good. Now, Colleen, they, they, because this is all audio, our audience does not know that you and I have been nodding all the way through. Those are great points. Um, the, um, I think, though, if somebody were to just sort of, I would think one of the other things that they want to, even before they get a chance to talk to the staff, I think they should be looking for a kennels that are clean, that they don't smell, that the animals have you know, something to to comfort them, that they're not just in a piece of cement. Those things are absolutely true, but you have to be careful to understand that you may be looking at a snapshot in time. Right. And if you walk in and there's poop on the kennel floor, it could have just happened. And the staff may not have gotten there yet to clean it up. You know, if there's poop everywhere smeared around, you have a bigger problem. Um, right. Well, I my- have to laugh when you say, Julie, about that you know, it doesn't smell because when right. I first started working here, people would come in and they would walk through the lobby and they'd say, this is where the animals are, right? It doesn't <laughs> smell. <laughs> and it became a real point of pride as I started to visit other um, sheltering organizations, and I realized that you know, any shelter, when you first walk in the door at eight o'clock in the morning when the staff arrives, there are going to be odors because the animals have been overnight not going out. But by the time the public comes in, there is absolutely no reason that the shelter should not be at the same smell level that your private home is. You know, and that has become a real point of pride for us. In fact, at one point, I wanted to suggest it as our um, theme of the year. Michigan <laughs> Humane Society, we don't smell. <laughs> and Not everybody went adopted? for that. As, as, uh, no, 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 we went with something else that year. Well, I think, I think that's a really good point because I think there's a difference between, oh, he's just pooped and I smell that, you know, sort of a mm-hmm. fresh excrement right. as opposed to... There's this lingering, awful, excremental smell. And that's what you really want to avoid. Because if you have these lingering, stale odors, that means Mm -hmm. that that hygiene is not being taken care of. And that could impact not just the well-being, but the health of these animals and all the other animals. Right, and that's really important. Yeah, yeah. Um, And speaking of health, it's important to select a shelter that provides the level of vaccination, exam, those sorts of services that you need because once you adopt the animal, whatever hasn't been done in the shelter, you're going to need to take care of with your private veterinarian. And some people are prepared to go and spend hundreds of dollars immediately having an animal spayed or neutered, doing all the vaccinations, getting um, 
you know, flea and tick treatments and all of that kind of thing. And that's fine if you're prepared to do that, you know, adopt from a shelter that doesn't do any of those things in advance. But most people who are adopting really appreciate knowing that when they pay their adoption fee, they're getting an animal that still should go to the veterinarian within the next two weeks. We always tell people, go get them checked out, get a file started with your vet, but you won't have to get the, you know, the combination parvo vaccine and all the flea and tick stuff and uh, all the you know, heartworm testing and everything else that will already have been done for you. That's great. Um, I'm really glad to hear of what, how you, you know, sort of prepare the dogs. One of my questions for you is, is, is one, do you have any kind of a contract with yes. your owners? And, and yes, if somebody's looking for a shelter, what should they be looking for in a contract from that shelter? I think that you want to see in the contract that the shelter states what they have already done for the animal. So you have that information. You should get a health record from the shelter as part of your contract that shows when vaccinations were given, when testing was done, anything like that. The Our contract has a clause that says if for any reason at any time you can no longer keep this dog, you will return it to us and we will rehome it at that point. Um, I like that. We like to know what's going on with our animals. And if there's been a problem, I would say that in the sheltering community, there is some growing feeling that it's not necessarily wrong to have a person if they can't live with the dog anymore and their neighbor loves the dog to relocate the dog to the neighbor's house. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's a really probably good thing to do because the dog knows the neighbor. What we would like, however, is for the people to contact the shelter and let us know my dog is no longer living with the Smiths. Now the dog is living with the Pilar's. So that if we ever had reason to need to track down the dog, we would know where it was. And that way also we can make sure that the microchip information is updated so that because people always forget to update their microchip information, Mm -hmm. we can make sure it's updated. So should the dog go missing, it can be found. Um, You know, we basically want to be able to track where our animals are. And I think that's really important. Um, Our contract also has a requirement that within two weeks of adopting, you will take your dog to your veterinarian and have a general wellness exam. Um, It's a hard thing to enforce for us, but it's really important for people to have a record established Before there's an emergency, before there's an illness, have your animal on record at the vet so that the next time you need, they will send you reminders when you need to update your vaccinations, when your heartworm testing is due, all of that kind of thing. So those are things that I think are really important in the contract. 
I think those are all very important things. Um, one of the things is is when you tell them that you want them to take them to the vet for. A, do you specify what you want the vet to do? Do you do you ask for them to get a full blood panel? Do you um, no just to make sure that the no. Vet- we um, we don't have a vet on staff at our shelter, so we're not able to give rabies vaccinations. Oh, okay. um, sometimes our dogs end up being vaccinated against rabies because they have to go to the vet for some reason before they're adopted or they're surrendered to us with vet records that show they have had a rabies vaccination. But it's a state law that they be vaccinated. So we use that as our sort of carrot. And we say, you know, your dog hasn't had a rabies. You need to take it in to get that. And while you're there, most veterinarians will say, I need to do a general checkup in order to give the rabies. Right. So that's the way we structure it. Awesome. So there's a lot of benefit for families adopting from your shelter because they're getting a lot of information and um, health health treatments uh, with yep. the adoption. Yep. Does for from an adopter's point of view, does volume of a shelter matter in any way? How many animals the shelter handles? It. I wouldn't think that that would be a primary thing if you're looking for a very specific type of dog. Um. A shelter that has a larger volume might be more likely to have that type of dog. For instance, we don't get a lot of small dogs. And when we do get small dogs, they get adopted very quickly. So people looking for small dogs can become frustrated working with us because we don't have that inventory, Mm -hmm. so to speak. Um, But I think as long as you're able to see that the animals are being cared for, whether it's a large or a small number of dogs shouldn't really make a difference. Um, But the, if somebody, if an organization has hundreds of dogs and the kennels aren't clean, that's a problem. Yes. Yes. That's definitely a problem. So if if an owner comes in, what's the process um, that owners should be looking for that's that, you know, if I arrive at a shelter, what should I anticipate the shelter is going to ask me to do? Um, I don't think they're going to say here, this is a lovely dog. Take it home. Right. Um, <laughs> what um, can they expect there, from the shelter? What's the shelter going to ask them to do? What, what would be reasonable? Expectations? At, at some point in the process of working with the shelter, you'll be asked to fill out an application. Some shelters require that before they will let you see any animals. Other shelters wait until you have selected the animal that you're interested in bringing home before they have you fill out an application. But there will be an application. You'll be asked, do you own your residence or do you rent? And if you rent, you'll be asked for your landlord's contact information to confirm that you're actually allowed to have animals. Um, You'll be asked what veterinarian you use and what animals you currently have in your household. Um, So if you have a lot of animals, you might want to write that down in advance so that you can fill out those forms. (laughs) Um, Some shelters have extensive questionnaires for you to fill out about what you're looking for in a dog um, behavior wise and that sort of thing. Other shelters like ours, for instance, We really do that in a more conversational way working with you. Um, 
what your expectations are, what your lifestyle is like, so that we can make sure that, you know, if you're a couch potato, we're not adopting an Australian shepherd to you who needs to constantly be on the move in order to be a happy dog. Um, those sorts of things. You'll mostly, I think most shelters are going to want some form of identification, whether it's a driver's license or something more, um, just to prove that you are who you say you are. Okay. Now, will you adopt to somebody, um, since you're in Michiana, Indiana, will you adopt mm -hmm. to people who are outside of Indiana? Will you adopt to Michigan and Ohio residents as well? We have adopted as far as Wisconsin, up into Grand Rapids, Michigan, across to Fort Wayne. Right, right, down mm -hmm. to Fort Wayne. Um, we adopt regionally. Okay, okay. So, yeah. How many how many dogs do you? What, well, that's another question. Is is people always want to say I want a no kill shelter, and. Mm -hmm. How do you respond to that question? I, we don't use the term no kill at our shelter. And the reason we don't use the term is that it is a very misunderstood at combination of two words. <laughs> yes. Um, we, our, what's called your live release rate. So animals that come to our shelter, spend time here and then leave our shelter our live release rate is about 97%. That's excellent. Um, excellent. Yeah. And the only reason that we euthanize animals is if they are too sick for us to reasonably take care of. So, for instance, uh, a really old dog that comes to the shelter as a stray riddled with cancer that we think is suffering we will euthanize that dog. And I don't think anyone would question that decision. Um, we also will euthanize a dog that is too aggressive for our staff to handle. And we never make that decision in the first few days that a dog is with us. Because for some dogs, it's a very difficult transition from right. however they were living before to being at the shelter. So we take time to assess whether we think this dog is going to be able to make a relationship with at least one of our kennel staff. Um, but if there reaches a point in time that the dog is guarding its kennel, no one can get it out. It can't go out for a walk because no one can handle it. At a certain point, you have to question the quality of life and say, Absolutely. this is not the right way for a dog to live. So, so let's talk a little bit about about some of this because um, for most of my clients hearing that an organization is no kill sounds like a great thing and then mm -hmm. I'm biting my tongue because they don't know the full nuance and backstory of what that might mean so if we're right. trying to help adopters find a facility that that is going to best meet their needs what are some mm -hmm. of the buzzwords that are either good buzzwords or bad buzzwords that they could be looking for like what kind of guidance would you give on that I guess I would, if, an, if a shelter referred to itself as no kill, I would ask the staff, what does that mean to you? 
Because, for instance, I visited a shelter once that proudly proclaimed itself no kill. And in walking through the dog kennels, I discovered a dog that had lived in a kennel at the shelter for four years. Mm -hmm. And only one member of the staff was able to handle that dog. And to me, that's not right. I, if your neighbor kept a dog <laughs> in the back room and only, you know, only the dad could take the dog out. So on the days that the mom and the kids weren't able to, you know, take the dog out and the dad was busy, the dog didn't go out. You would call your local animal control on those people. That, that kind of incarceration is not right. So, you know, and also an animal that needs to be kept so heavily drugged either to be safe or to be out of pain at a certain point, you wouldn't do that to your own dog. Why is that okay in a facility? Um, but I don't know that there are specific buzzwords, Colleen. I think that you just need to explore it a little more deeply what exactly do they mean? Because it's such a popular term. Oh, and it's a popular oh, term. <laughs> it does sound lovely. You know, mm -hmm. we would all love to live our happy lives not killing anything. And that's valid, but it's valid with a number of provisos. Yeah. Yes, I think that's a great way of putting it. So I think that people need to ask questions. They need to say, you know, what is it you, you mean by this? And I think they need to right. understand that, that a, an animal incarcerated for four years with only 20 minutes of human contact a day, if that, mm -hmm. that's not the kind of life that we have promised to give these animals. And right. it's not fair. And not an easy dog to take home either. Like no. not you an decide easy dog that I'm the one home. who's going to save that one, mm -hmm. you're taking home a huge challenge. Yeah. Well, if you consider, you know, the five freedoms that sort of define animal welfare the notion of an animal being able to express its normal animal behavior you know, doesn't happen in a three or four foot by eight foot kennel run. Yeah. And we'll link to those five freedoms in the show yeah. notes. So yeah, we, we did two podcasts they're very on those. Uh -huh. yeah. So, no, yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, do, um, do you also, I know that um, I have had several people who have come to me as a trainer who said, I adopted this dog and part of my contract was I had to go to obedience class. Do you require that from your owners? I, I would love to be able to require that. We in this area, we do not have a lot of options for training. And so we wouldn't be able to adopt our dogs out if we required everyone to go to class. We encourage it strongly. And at the times that we've been able to have a trainer coming here to the shelter, we have, you know, puppies are given free access to training classes, um, but we've had trouble keeping trainers here. There, there just isn't a population of options in this area. Um, so it's something that we, we dream of. We hope someday to be able to uh, to encourage and to require. But at this point, we're just not able to. Yeah. OK. OK. Is there anything else that you would like to put forward that you think owners need to know and take a look at when it comes to shelters? 
I think if a shelter won't let you interact with the dogs, that's a problem. Um, if a shelter doesn't ask you any questions about your lifestyle and what you are planning, what your ideal living with a dog looks like, then that's a problem because the likelihood that they're going to send you home with a dog that is way different from what you need is pretty high. Some shelters are very eager just to get them adopted. Let's just yeah. get them adopted. And, mm -hmm. you know, we are very much about let's get them into their final home. Let's make a match that is going to work. And I think that that's really important. Many, many years ago, I volunteered at a shelter and there was one man particularly known for, for making matches. And I talked to him about it one day and he said, oh, well, I don't I don't uh, make a match based on what they want. I make a match based on what I've got. And I was like, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> oh, dear. and I at the time, I wasn't sure how I felt about that. And over the years, it's become more and more and more upsetting to me because I've seen so many families who have a bad match. Right. But big, big hearts, you know, they want to make it work now because now mm -hmm. they've committed and they are falling for the for the animal that they've adopted. But it's not the animal that they should have adopted. Right. Um, and that's a tough right. thing. So I think that was a really wise, uh, really wise advice to end on for this one. Yeah. yeah, I think so, too. Thank you so much, Joanna. And uh, stay tuned for part two with Joanna. We talk about um, owners and shelters. Now that we've talked about shelters, thanks, Joanna. We'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to Your Family Dog. Got questions? Interesting ideas? Colleen and Julie would love to hear them. Call 614-349-1661 or visit www.yourfamilydogpodcast.com to share your thoughts.